You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, this parable of Jesus, when you first hear it, sounds troubling. It sounds like Jesus is giving the okay to deception and theft and all sorts of wrongdoing. But when we look at some of the words of Jesus, it shows us that this, in fact, is not the case In fact, it's the very opposite of what Jesus is doing. There's a steward, a master, and he's caught by his Lord wasting his goods. So the master comes to him and asks for the books. Give an account of your stewardship, and then you're fired. And this guy says to himself, well, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to beg. He doesn't know how he'll be able to work to provide for himself when he's out of a job. So he comes up with a plan. He calls together, one by one, all the people who who owe debt to his master. In the text, we hear about two of them, but I have no question that, that he gets all of them, a long list of them. Those are just examples. And, and he says to him, how much do you owe my master? And he pulls out the receipt, and he cuts the debt once in half, some by 20%, and he has him sign it. And he does this to win the good favor of his master's debtors, so that when he's out of work and he's walking down the street, they will, as friends, take care of him, give him a place to sleep and something to eat. And the parable ends like this. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, here it's in these words that we see that Jesus is not commending the guy, The word dishonest there is even stronger in the Greek. Something like unrighteous would be better. And this is important. Because this steward, this guy, is not being put before us as an example, at least not as a moral example, as someone to emulate. What he does is wrong. His motivation is wrong. His actions are wrong. But Jesus puts him before us for another reason. He is commended for his shrewdness. And this is why Jesus is telling the parable. Here's how Jesus explains it. Luke 16, verses 8 and 9, the last words of the text. Jesus says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This guy, this manager, this steward, says Jesus, was shrewd. And we are not. This manager could see the trouble coming. And he had a plan of action. He could plainly assess the situation, including his own limitations, and this, and this steward knew that there was value in money, even if it wasn't his own money, and that he could use it to make friends. And so he plotted, and he planned, and he schemed, and he worked, probably harder than he had ever worked in years, to make sure that his future had some hope in it. Now here's Jesus looking at this little scoundrel running around, cheating his master, pulling out all the files, staying up all night, thinking what to do next, plotting, sneaking around. Jesus sees this guy doing this, and he says, look at this thief. 
you see how hard he's working at his thievery? Do you see how he's plotting and how he's planning and how he's thinking for what? To have a few friends that will toss him some bread? And what are the Christians doing? Sitting around with all sorts of treasures, giving no thought at all to them or to tomorrow. So that the example of this unrighteous steward is a rebuke to you and to me, to the Christians, to those that Jesus calls in the parable the sons of light, saying the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, this all has to do with the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. The twin vices forbidden by the seventh commandment are these, greed on the one hand and laziness on the other. Now, the virtue of the seventh commandment, by the way, is generosity, and that's really what the Holy Spirit is working in us, stirring up in us with this text, generosity. But you see, these vices of laziness and greed were the marks of this unrighteous steward. He was greedy. That's what got him into trouble in the first place. He was stealing from his master, and he was lazy. I mean, we, we heard that when he was thinking, what, do I, what am I going to do? I'm too weak to dig. He didn't want to have an actual job that involved his back muscles. But look, at, when, he's, when it's time for him to be fired, everything changes. Uh, everything is flipped on its head. He's got a little motivation now. And even if the motivation is self-preservation, he is, for at least the three or four days before he has to be fired, probably the hardest working guy in town. I mean, he's staying up late, burning the midnight oil, calling all of his master's debtors in, giving them the receipts, rewriting them, plotting and working. And he's probably the most generous guy in town also. Even though the money he's giving away is not his, he would have been commended as the most generous person that the people knew. Now, it's a strange truism, this, that sinners work harder at their sins than Christians work at their love for their neighbor. Proverbs, Solomon says it like this in Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 4, the description of the evildoer. They cannot sleep unless they have done some wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now, imagine if the opposite was true for the Christians, for us. They cannot sleep until we've done something right and good. We eat the bread of righteousness and drink the wine of kindness. But the opposite is true. The wicked run everywhere use all of their energy and all of their wisdom in service to their own ends, while the Christians, say, says Jesus, lack shrewdness. And I don't, I don't think it has to be in service to sin either. There's this kind of uh, energy in, in service to worldliness. I think that word, I, you know, all the old preachers used to use that word, worldliness. I, I, some of you might remember that the preachers would always preach against the worldlings. We should probably bring that that back. Because it points out that we give lots of thought and lots of effort to the things of the world. I drive to church pretty early most Sundays, and the people who are out, you know who they are? They're the people who are setting up for the soccer tournaments or the people who are pulling out of the driveway with their campers. 
People are very serious about their recreation. We all, I think, do this. We work very hard to relax. But then 9.15 rolls around, and it seems like that's way too early to get to church. You, you see the contrast, that what Jesus is working with. That the children of the world pour out their mind and their body into making their future a little bit better for themselves, while we, who are Christians, and in fact have a glorious future, the promise of eternal life with Christ and the hope of the resurrection to righteousness, we hardly give thought to it. And so Jesus rebukes us. He says, think of the future and use the resources that you have at your disposal for good purpose. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, that means when you die, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You have a mind. Use it to meditate on good things, on different ways to love and to serve your neighbor. You've got a body. Use it to serve your neighbor and to bless them. You've got various resources that the Lord has given to you. Use them to care for the people around you and to be friendly and to make friends for yourselves who will be your neighbors in the resurrection. And Jesus' instructions here are specifically about money. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, Jesus says. Spend your money to make eternal friends. I think that's why this Sunday, the ninth Sunday after Trinity Sunday, is probably the best Sunday all year to talk about stewardship. Jesus would have us ask this question. Are we spending our money to make eternal friends? Are we spending our money for the preaching of the gospel and for the love of our neighbor? Now, I know my own thinking about stewardship is very simple. We've talked about it before. It might be too simplistic even, but it's something like this. We all spend money on the things that we need and the things that we love. And the Christian knows that we need most of all the gospel. And the Christian loves above all things the gospel. So Christian families, Christian people spend their money to support the preaching of the gospel. And that's all there is to it. It's fairly simple. And it's not that spiritual, at least I don't think. I mean, sometimes you hear stewardship sermons uh, like this. Uh, you have to give to church because it's good for you. I suppose that there is a grain of truth in that, and it would be something like this. All of us are tempted to idolatry, especially to the idolatry of greed, and when we give our money away, we're fighting against that idol. We're putting it to death. We're saying, hey, I'm going to give without receiving anything in return. I'm not going to, I'm going to make my money serve me, and I'm not going to serve my money, this sort of thing. But I think it's probably better to understand our giving to the church and to the neighbor and to various charities as, in fact, a work of service. It's not a service to God. He doesn't need our money. And that's how David preached in the Old Testament lesson. We give you but your own. Mostly the money that you give is to serve your pastors. I mean, most of the offering that you give supports Pastor Flammy and I and our families, and then the other big chunk of it keeps the building from falling on our heads. And then the rest to do take care of all the various stuff that's going on around here. It's not particularly spiritual stuff. It supports the preaching of the gospel. But in the midst of all of this, we have to remember that the gospel is free. 
The devil could, dear saints, and this is for our comfort, the devil could come along tomorrow and take all of the church's money, empty the bank account, and he could take all of your money, empty your bank accounts, and, you know, the cash that you have hidden under the mattress and everything. And then he could cause the church to collapse, and we'd have nothing left, no earthly possessions at all. And still the preaching of the gospel would go forth. We would still gather together to hear the Lord's word, to take the Lord's supper, to hear and pray the liturgy. This is absolutely free. So this, in fact, sets us free to understand that all of the other gifts that we give, including the money that we spend, is a way of, as Jesus says, making eternal friends. We have a place to invite our friends and our neighbors to come and hear the gospel. And you all provide for Pastor Flammy and I so that we can spend our time in study and visits and prayers so that in the resurrection, in the resurrection, we will be crowded in with family and friends who also know the voice of Jesus, who are baptized, who are Christians and who love you, and who love Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. The sons of the world are more shrewd in their dealing than the sons of light. I say to you, use your unrighteous mammon to gain for yourselves eternal friends. Now you say, Pastor, you've been talking about how we give our money to support the preaching of the gospel, but this particular sermon has been nothing but law, (laughs) which is a good point. It's probably a law passage that Jesus has for us. Instruction and warning and rebuke. But remember, the reason that Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees and the reason He tells it to us is that He loves us. And Jesus sees for us the great danger of greed and of laziness. He knows our weakness. He knows our sin. And so He warns us. And He rebukes us. And He calls us to repentance. And we repent. We repent of our laziness and we repent of our greed. We repent of the thoughtlessness with which we live our lives, the lack of concern that we have for our neighbor and for the resurrection. We repent of our foolishness and of of our idolatry. And we hear the good news, the promise of the Lord's mercy and His grace and His generosity which knows no bounds, and His forgiveness. When St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's writing them to remind them to send money to Jerusalem. (laughs) 2 Corinthians is all about it, especially chapter 8. And he says to them these words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus emptied himself. He came down from heaven for you. He was born in poverty in a manger and wandered around the earth and suffered as a criminal and was hung as in shame on a cross. And all of this is his poverty. And all of this is your treasure. 
By all of this, you are made rich. And your hope and your life and your confidence are filled up by Christ. So that you, dear saints, are rich in Christ. You have the blood of Jesus, which forgives all of your sins, more precious than any earthly treasure. You have the Word of God, more more valuable than gold or silver. You have the name of God placed on you in baptism, put on your lips in your prayers every day, a name that is blessed above everything that's in heaven and on earth. You have the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of life and righteousness. You have Jesus. And Jesus has you. And He has promised never to leave you or forsake you in life and in death and in joy and in sorrow. You have this confidence that you are a child of light as Jesus called you in the parable. And this means that you're free. You are free. You're free to use your mind and your body and your money to make friends, eternal friends, even as Jesus has been pleased by His blood to call you His friend and to make for you an eternal home. So, dear saints, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are washed with the treasure of the blood of Jesus. You are cared for by God. Be shrewd. And rejoice in His goodness. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.